and welcome back to another week of The Days That Music Died. We have quite the show this week that is for certain definitely a depressing, uh, tragic death, tragedy for this week's artist, um, and especially the build-up, but the, the tragicness of, of their death as well is, is quite uh, unfortunate and, and quite depressing as well. But we will be going back into the year... 2003 so go ahead and get ready to put your time traveling caps on your thinking caps on as we go back into that year 2003 but before we get to that once again i'm your host caleb and you are listening to the days that music died right here on 89.5 wjmu the quad you can go ahead and check out our Facebook page at The Days That Music Died, and you can even give us a like on Twitter, also at The Days That Music Died. I'm really bad about updating our Twitter page, but I do a decent job at Facebook, or at least I think so. So go ahead and like our Facebook page, and, and hopefully in the next few weeks that Twitter page will be uh, turning around as well, and also, if you are interested in our podcast, which is literally just a show, then you can go ahead and check out our podcast, which is on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, and many more, uh, and even the Anchor Podcast app and many more of your lesser-known podcast apps. Let's go ahead and get these time-traveling caps on our heads, and let's go back into the year 2003. So what was life like in 2003? Well, the average cost of a new house was $246,300. An average median income was roughly $45,000. gallon of gas was $1.83. Big events that occurred throughout this year, the Human Genome Project happens. The Space Shuttle Columbia disaster occurs in 2003. The, the, the Department of Homeland Security begins its operation in 2003. And... and to remind you, in 2003, this is now two years after 9-11. In 2002, 2003, 2004, really for a good portion of time, you've got this straight after post-9-11 world occurring and things happening, especially in the United States. So a lot of this is, is happening and occurring. A lot of things are being affected by this. And one of the big things that George W. Bush decides to do and implement into the United States government is the beginning and founding operation of Homeland, the Department of Homeland Security. And so it begins its operation in 2003. This is a big deal, and this really helps shape our country to today, to this point in 2020. And so we also have the interest 45-year record low. United States interest occurs in the States. Finding Nemo, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Last Samurai, Lord of the Rings, Bruce Almighty, all very popular films throughout 2003 for pop culture. And our popular musicians, Elton John, Beyonce, Christina Aguilera, Coldplay, Evanescence, Blink-182, Sheryl Crow, Blur, 50 Cent, Nelly, Justin Timberlake, after his uh, disbanding of NSYNC, comes out with his solo debut album and, and phenomenal album at that and of course the debut record by one of my favorite artists of all time Nora Jones come away with me beautiful album occurring 2003 2002 to 2003 and uh, just just amazing stuff and so she is very popular throughout this time um, which is rightfully so so that ends our life in 2003 so now you, you kind of get the gist of the things that are occurring small gist of what's occurring throughout 2003 and how you can relate it to that to 2000 
2020. And the biggest thing is the fact that, of course, there's one big thing occurring in 2020 that wasn't in 2003, and that is, I don't know, the coronavirus pandemic. <laughs> and so that that's a big thing I think we can definitely relate or um, uh, compare, I should say, compare and contrast to every year that we focus on now, unless it is 2020, is the fact that it's a different world now just because of the pandemic. Um, and lots of different things are going off in that, but that's for another time we'll talk about. Um, but the pandemic is a, is a big compare and contrasting figure to comparing the different years. So 2003 to 2020, different stuff occurring throughout the years, but also some similarities at the same time. Still lots of national security things occurring, problems occurring as well. Um, but at the same time, now you've got the pandemic on top of that, along with all the mess that's occurring at the national government level. Just a lot of different things um, happening throughout 2020 that definitely uh, contrasts to what happened in 2003. But at the same time, at the same time, though, you can actually compare one another in the sense that both front offices, you know, presidential offices, the White House in particular, is they're both very busy because obviously the president at the moment busy with other things relating to 2020, as in at the time George W. Bush in 2003, very busy with post 9-11 world, post 9-11 life. The different things occurring there, beginning the Homeland Security Department, um, you know, having to deal with the Iraq war, all that different stuff, really important stuff at the time and you can compare that to 2020 with the different things occurring such as the pandemic the black lives matter movement um and the election that's coming up more and on and on and on all kinds of different things there but let's go ahead and get into our today's focus which is none other than elliot smith the great legendary alternative folk artist Elliot Smith, singer-songwriter, just amazing stuff there. Um, very, very tragic loss of losing him in 2003, so we're going to feature him on this week's show. Stephen Paul Elliott Smith was born on August 6, 1969 at the Clarkson Hospital in Omaha, Nebraska, which who he became the only child of Gary Smith, a student at the University of Nebraska Medical Center, and Bunny K. Berryman, an elementary school music teacher. His parents divorced when he was six months old, and Smith moved with his mother to Duncanville, Texas afterwards. Uh, here, Smith endured a difficult childhood and a troubled relationship with his stepfather, Charlie Welch. Smith stated he may have been sexually abused by Welch at a young age, an allegation which Welch has denied since. He wrote about this part of his life in some song, and the name Charlie also appears in different songs such as Flowers for Charlie and No Confidence Man. In a 2004 interview, Jennifer Chiba Smith's partner at the time of his death stated that Smith's difficult childhood was partly why he needed to sedate himself with drugs as an adult. She said he was remembering traumatic things from his childhood, parts of things. It's not my place to say what, though. And Smith began actually playing piano at the age of nine and at 10 began learning guitar and a small acoustic guitar bought for him by his father. At this age, he composed an original piano piece titled Fantasy, which won him a prize and arts festival. Many of the people on his mother's side of the family were non-professional musicians, such as his grandfather, who was a Dixieland, Dixieland drummer, and his grandmother sang in a glee club. 
At 14, Smith left his mother's home in Texas and moved to Portland, Oregon to live with his father, who was then working as a psychiatrist. Psychiatrist. <laughs> it was around this time that Smith began using drugs, including alcohol, with friends. He also began experimenting with, with recording for the first time after borrowing a four-track recorder. At high school, Smith played clarinet in the school band and played guitar and piano. He also sang in the band Stranger Than Fiction and A Murder of Crows, billed as either Stephen Smith or Johnny Panic, who he referred to himself as at that time. He graduated from Lincoln High School as a National Merit Scholar. So very, very intelligent um, person Elliot Smith was. Just, just brilliant at that and the things that he was doing with music even as a teenager was incredible and it's obvious that he has some musical background with his family, just not professional-wise. So after graduation, Smith actually began calling himself Elliot, saying that he thought Steve sounded too much like a jock name and that Stephen sounded too bookish. According to friends, he'd also used the pseudonym Elliot Stillwater Rodder during his time in the band Murder of Crows. Biographer S.R. Shutt speculates that the name was either inspired by Elliot Avenue, a street that Smith had lived on in Portland. So now moving into his band days, the different, it really just his professional music career, uh, really. In 1991 through 1996, he's part of the band Heat Miser. And so in 1991, Smith graduates from Hampshire College in Amherst, Massachusetts, with a degree in philosophy and political science. He went straight through in four years, he explained to Underwater, Under the Radar in 2003, I guess it proved to myself that I could do something I really didn't want to for four years, except I did like what I was studying. At the time, it seemed like this is your one and only chance to go to college, and you had just better do it because someday you might wish that you did. Plus, the whole reason I applied in the first place was because my girlfriend and I had gotten accepted already, even though we had broken up before the first day. So this is, this is all what Ellie Smith is saying about college and his degree. And so after he graduated, he worked in a bakery back in Portland with a bachelor's degree in philosophy and legal theory. While at Hampshire, Smith formed the band Heat Miser with classmate Neil Gust. After Smith graduated, the band added drummer Tony Lash and bassist Brant Peterson and began performing around Portland in 1992. The group released the albums Dead Air in 93 and Cop and Speeder in 94, as well as the Yellow Number no. 5 EP in 1994 as well, on Frontier Records. They are then signed to Virgin Records to release what became their final album, Mike City Sons, released in 1996. Around this time, Smith and Gus worked a number of odd jobs around Portland during the day while performing at night, such as installing drywall, spreading gravel, transplanting bamboo trees, and painting the roof of a warehouse with heat-reflective paint. The pair were also on unemployment benefits for some time, which they considered an artist grant of sorts. Um, and Smith had actually begun his solo career while still in Heat Miser, and the success of his first two releases created distance and tension with his band. Heat Miser disbanded prior to the release of Mike City Sons, prompting Virgin to put the album out inauspiciously through its independent arm, Caroline Records. A clause in Heat Miser's, Heat Miser's record contract with Virgin meant that Smith was still bound to it as an individual, and the contract was later bought out by DreamWorks prior to the recording of his fourth album, XO. In 1994, we have the release of Roman Candle, which is a very, very popular album of 
or by Elliot Smith, I should say. And so his first release, Roman Candle, released in 94, came about when Smith's girlfriend at the time convinced him to send a tape of the most recent eight songs that he'd recorded on borrowed four tracks and borrowed guitar to Cavity Search Records. Owner Christopher Cooper immediately requested to please or to release the entire album of songs, which surprised Smith as he was expecting only a deal for a seven-inch record. Regarding the record, Smith said, I thought my head would be chopped off immediately when it came out because at the time it was so opposite to the grunge that grunge thing that was popular. The thing is that album was really well received, which was a total shock, and it immediately eclipsed Heat Miser, unfortunately. Smith felt his solo songs were not representative of the music Heat Miser was making. The idea of playing his music for people didn't occur to him, and, and because at the time it was the Northwest Mud Honey and, and Nirvana sound, and going out to play an acoustic show was actually like crawling out on a limb and begging it for begging for it to be sawed off, as he so described it. One of Smith's first solo performances was at was at the now defunct Umbra Penumbra on September 17, 1994. Only three songs from Roman Candle were actually performed, with the majority of the ten songs set being B-sides, Heat Miser tunes, and unreleased tracks. That same year, Smith released a split 7-inch record with Pete Krebs via Slomo Records, contributing the track No Confidence Man. Throughout the years 1995 to 97, we have the release of Elliot Smith and Either Or. In 1995, Smith's self-titled album was released on Kill Rockstar's label. The record featured a style of recording similar to Roman Candle, but with hints of growth and experimentation. Several songs made reference to drugs, but Smith explained that he used the theme of drugs as a vehicle for conveying dependence rather than the songs being about drugs specifically. Looking back, Smith felt that the album's pervasive mood gave him a reputation for being a really dark, depressed person, and so that he later made a conscious move toward more diverse moods in his music. So he's starting to realize as well that he kind of is a, a very depressive and depressing person as far as mentally, and he's starting to realize that he, that's really showing in his music and it's a lot different from this grudge rock that's occurring um similar themes but different sounds and, and at the same time Elliot Smith is going really dark with his music especially at the beginning of his solo career and so he's realizing this and he's deciding that he needs to change a little bit he wants to be a little bit mainstream but at the same time he wants to relate more to people and if he's too dark he feels like he's not going to relate to people and so in 1996, filmmaker Jim Cohen recorded Smith playing acoustic songs for the short film Lucky Three in Elliot Smith Portrait. Two of these songs would appear in his next album, Either Or, which was another Kill Rock Stars release. Either Or actually came out in 1997, two favorable reviews, and the album found Smith venturing further into full instrumentation, with several songs containing bass, guitar, drums, keyboards, and electric guitars, all played by Smith himself. By this time, Smith's already heavy drinking was being compounded with use of antidepressants, and at the end of the either-or tour, some of his close friends staged an intervention in Chicago, but it proved ineffective, and shortly after, Smith relocated from Portland to Brooklyn, New York. 
And throughout the year 1997 to 1998, we have the release of Miss Misery and the Oscars. In 1997, Smith was selected by director and fellow Portland resident Gus Van Sant to be a part of the soundtrack to his film Good Will Hunting, very popular film in the late 90s featuring Matt Damon at the helm. Smith recorded an orchestral version of Between the Bars with composer Danny Elfman for the movie. Smith also contributed a new song, Miss Misery, and three previously released, released tracks titled No Name Number 3 from Roman Candle and Angelus and Say Yes from Either Or. The film was a commercial and critical success, and Smith was nominated for an Academy Award for the tune Miss Misery. Not eager to step into the limelight, he agreed to perform the song at the ceremony only after the produce, producers informed him that if he was unwilling to perform, they would choose someone else to play it. So, so Smith decides that he will do it only because he doesn't want anyone else to play his song. Um, and who who would blame him, right? And on March 5th, 1998, Smith made his network television debut on Late Night with Conan O'Brien, performing Miss Misery solo on acoustic guitar, and a few days later wearing a white suit, he played an abridged version of the song at the Oscars, accompanied by the House Orchestra. And we'll continue with more on his solo career, EXO, Figure 8, those albums, and even a little bit of uh, some of the ending recordings and such like that, and his reemergence throughout 2002 to 2003 by Elliot Smith in the next break. But first, let's go ahead and get up and get started with our first segment of music for today's show. Here is none other than Son of Sam by Elliot Smith, and I hope you all enjoy. Kwan, I'm your host. Caleb, and that was none other than Baby Britain. And right before that, we had Between the Bars and Pizzola by the great, iconic, legendary, just, just amazing singer-songwriter artist that was none other than Elliot Smith. True, truly a brilliant voice. So so easygoing and simplistic, but man, what, what a good voice. Um... Really, and his music overall, his his how he was able to write it and his lyrics were just incredible. Whether they were dark and depressing or like Baby Britain, it, you know, kind of a easygoing, um, semi lighthearted tune with uh, deeper meanings there. Just really, really good stuff by Elliot Smith. And and again, that's that's why we had to focus um, on him for this week's show. Is uh, phenomenal artist and he really meant so much to folk alternative and even the singer-songwriter genres he was influential and so so important with those genres and with music overall especially in the mid to late 90s and even early 2000s let's go ahead and get back into our today's focus and we're going to continue talking about Elliot Smith and talk about the years 1998 to 2000 with the releases of XO and figure eight in 1998, after the success of Either Or and Miss Misery, Smith actually signed to a bigger record label, DreamWorks Records. Around the same time, Smith fell into a depression, speaking openly of considering suicide, and on at least one occasion made a serious attempt at, at ending his own life. While in North Carolina, he became severely intoxicated and actually ran off a cliff. He landed on a tree, which badly impaled him, but broke his fall. Christopher Cooper, head of Cavity Search Rec Records, said about this time in Smith's life, I talked to him I talked him out of thinking that he wanted to kill himself numerous times when he was in Portland. I kept telling him that he was a brilliant man and that life was worth living and that people loved him. Smith's first release for DreamWorks was later that year, titled XO, 
It was conceived and developed while Smith wrote it out over the winter of 1997 and 1998, night after night seated at the bar in Luna Lounge. It contained a more full-sounding broke pop sound than any of his previous efforts, and with songs featuring a horn section uh, by the Chamberlain's elaborate string arrangements and even a drum loop on the song Independence Day. His familiar double-tracked vocal and acoustic guitar style were still apparent while his somewhat personal lyrical style survived. The album went on to peak at number 104 on the Billboard 200 and number 123 on the UK album charts, while selling 400,000 copies, more than double that of each of his two Kill Rock Stars releases, Becoming the best-selling release of his career, Smith's backing band during most of this period was the Portland-based group Quasi, consisting of former bandmate Sam Coombs on bass guitar and Coombs' ex-wife Janet Weiss on drums. Quasi also performed as the opening act on, at many shows on the tour, with Smith sometimes contributing bass guitar, guitar, or backing vocals. Smith then relocated from Brooklyn to Los Angeles in 1999, taking up residence at a cabin in the Silver Lake section of town, where he would regularly play intimate acoustic shows at local venues like Silver Lake Lounge. In the fall, his cover of the Beatles' Because was featured in the end credits of DreamWorks' Oscar-winning drama American Beauty and appeared on the film's soundtrack album. The final album Smith completed, Figure 8, was released on April 18, 2000. The album garnered favorable, favorable reviews... and received praise for its power, pop style, and complex arrangements, describing as creating a sweeping kaleidoscope of layered instruments and sonic textures. Sorry, I lost my place. However, some reviewers felt that Smith's trademark dark and melancholy songwriting had lost some some of its subtlety, subtlety, with one reviewer likening some of the lyrics to the self-pitying complaints of an adolescent venting in his diary. So you're really starting to get this... Um, deep, dark, depressing tone and manner throughout Elliot Smith's music being more prevalent and also with listeners tuning in more often as he becomes more popular. They're starting to hear more of this and they're starting to become kind of frightened by it. They're not liking it. Or as in this, the self-pitying complaints of an adolescent venting in his diary. And so album art and promotional pictures from the period showed Smith looking cleaned up and put together. An extensive tour and promotion of the record ensued, bookended by television appearance on Late Night with Conan O'Brien and The Late Show with David Letterman. However, Smith's condition began to, de to deteriorate as he had become addicted to heroin, either towards the end of or just after the figure eight tour. Throughout 2001 to 2002, addiction and, and, and lots of scrap recordings are occurring throughout this time for Smith. And around the time he began recording his final album, Smith actually began to display signs of paranoia, often believing that a white van followed him wherever he went. He would have friends drop him off for recording sessions almost a mile away from the studio, and to reach the location, he would trudge through hundreds of yards of brush and cliffs. A follow-up to Smith's 2000 album was originally planned to happen with Rob Schnaff, but their sessions were abandoned, and Smith also began distancing himself from manager Margaret Middleman, who had handled him since the Roman Candle days. He finally began recording a new album with only himself and John Brian as producers sometimes, sometime during 2001. 
the pair had recorded a substantial amount of music for the album when Brian stopped the sessions because of Smith's struggle with substance use disorder. Their friendship promptly ended, and Smith scrapped all their work until that point. In May 01, Smith set out to re-record the album mostly on his own, but with some help from David McConnell of Golden Boy. McConnell told Spin that during this time, Smith would smoke over $1,500 worth of heroin and crack per day, would often talk about suicide, and on numerous occasions try to give himself an overdose. Smith's live performances during 2001 and 2002 were infrequent, typically in the Pacific Northwest of Los, An or Los Angeles, and a review of his December 20, 2001 show at Portland's Crystal Ballroom expressed concern over his appearance and performance. His hair was uncharacteristically greasy and long, his face was bearded and gaunt, and during his songs he exhibited alarming signs of memory loss and butter fingers. Throughout the year 2003, we have somewhat of a reemergence of Elliot Smith and his career of, of sorts, and then also from a basement on the hill as well. And so Smith had actually attempted to go to rehab several times, hint this uh, sort of emergence, but found that he was unable to relate to the popular treatments for people with substance use disorder that used a 12-step program basis for treatment. And he said, I couldn't do the first step. I couldn't say what you were supposed to say and mean it. And so two sold-out show, uh, two sold-out solo acoustic concerts at Hollywood's Henry Fonda Theater um, occurred on January 31st and February 1st, 2003, which saw Smith attempting to reestablish his credibility as a live performer. And after his 34th birthday on August 6, 2003, he gave up alcohol. With things improving for Smith after several troubled years, he began experimenting with noise music and worked on his girlfriend Jennifer Chiba's iMac with the intent of learning how to record with computers, noting that it was the only method with which he was still unfamiliar with. Smith jokingly labeled his experimental way of recording The California Frown, a play on the Beach Boys' California sound. He said of the songs, they're kind of more noisy with the pitch all distorted. Some are more acoustic, but there aren't too many like that. Lately, I've just been making up a lot of noise. Ultimately, Smith's final show was at Redfest at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City on September 19, 2003. The final song he played live was Long, Long, Long by The Beatles. And from 2004 to even present day, lots of posthumous releases occurring for Smith. And so we have From a Basement on the Hill, almost four years of production, was released on October 19, 2004 by Anti Records. Elliot Smith and the Big Nothing, a biography by Benjamin Nugent, was rushed to publication shortly after From a Basement on the Hill, shortly after the first anniversary of his death as well. And on May 8th, 2007, a posthumous two-disc two disc com compilation album entitled New Moon was released by Kill Rock Stars. The album contained 24 songs recorded by Smith between 1994 and 1997 during his tenure with the label, songs that were not included on albums, as well as a few early versions and previous release B-sides in the United States. The album debuted at number 24 on the Billboard 3200 and selling about 24,000 copies in its first week. The record received favorable reviews and was Metacritic's 15th best reviewed album of 2007. And again, lots of things leading to his ultimate demise, which we will touch on 
Elliot Smith's tragic day in the next break. Um, but even this posthumous release, still things are going out, still things are happening. More modern day stuff, Phoebe Bridger's very popular singer-songwriter, folk, uh, indie folk artist, has really expressed how much she loves Elliot Smith and continues to cover his music, continues to tribute him, and actually did an Elliot Smith tribute not too long ago with uh, several other artists throughout those genres um, that really looked up to who he was and, and cherish his music for what it was as well. And so Elliot Smith, a brilliant soul that we lost far too soon and unfortunately was filled with tragedy from the get-go. And so we will get to his tragic day later on in the next break. But first, let's go ahead and hit up more music of Elliot Smith's kicking off with Angelus, and I hope you all enjoy. And welcome back to The Days That Music Died, right here on 89.5 WJMU The Quad. We only have two more tunes for you, but before we get to those, our tragic day for Elliot Smith. Once again, that was just Ballad of Big Nothing and then somebody that I used to know. Great tunes. I really love Waltz Number 2, also titled XO by Elliot Smith that you heard right before that. Um, great, great stuff by Elliot Smith as always. Truly, truly phenomenal. Seriously, I, I cannot repeat that enough how phenomenal of an artist uh, he really was. And so, unfortunately, we lost Elliot Smith on October 21st, 2003, at the age of 34, from two stab wounds to the chest. At the time of the stabbing, he was at his Lemoyne Street home in Echo Park, California, where he lived with his girlfriend, Jennifer Chiba. According to Chiba, the two were arguing, and she locked herself in the bathroom to take a shower. Chiba heard him scream, and upon opening the door, saw Smith standing with a knife in his chest. She pulled the knife out, after which he collapsed, and she called 911 at 12.18 p.m. Smith later died in the hospital, with the time of death listed as 1.36 p.m. A possible suicide note written on a post-it note read, I'm so sorry, love, Elliot. God forgive me. The name Elliot is misspelled as E-double-L-I-O-T in the coroner's report of the note, but not on the post-it, which Elliot did go by E-double-L-I-O-double-T. While Smith's death was reported as, as a suicide, the original autopsy or report released in December 2003 left open the question of homicide. According to Pitchfork record producer Larry Crane reported on his tape op message board that he had planned to help Smith mix his album in mid-November. Crane wrote, I hadn't talked to Elliot in over a year. His girlfriend Jennifer called me last week and asked if I'd like to come in or come to LA and help mix and finish Smith's album. I said yes of course and chatted with Elliot for the first time in ages. It seems surreal that he would call me to finish an album and then a week later kill himself and pass away. I would talk to Jennifer this morning, who was obviously shattered and in tears, and she said, I don't understand. He was so healthy. The coroner reported that no traces of illegal substances or alcohol were found in Smith's system at the time of his death, but did find prescribed levels of antidepressant and ADHD medications, including uh, amphetamines and many other medications that I cannot pronounce. There were no hesitation wounds, which are typical of suicide by self-infliction due to the inconclusive autopsy ruling. The Los Angeles Police Department's investigation still remains open to this day. Truly, truly tragic at that. Um, 
Elliot Smith, just amazing, amazing, legendary artist that he was. And that leads us into our one question. Once again, you can go ahead and like us on Facebook at The Days That Music Died, and you can follow our Twitter at The Days That Music Died as well. And please, by all means, uh, participate in this one question uh, segment of the show. And, you know, ask you know, ask us, tell us, what would you ask? And so what I would ask would be, you know, inspiration. What was your inspiration? What, what, what went on in your head? I think that's the biggest question um, I would ask just amazing things um that he did what so with his music so what went on in your head was would be the big thing and then also how did it feel at the end he spent the majority of his life trying to end it and with so much depression and and pain and and suffering how did it actually feel when he when he finally did it you know at the end that that would be a big question as well but what went on in your head would be the big thing Uh, the inspiration behind the music what gave him the ideas to do this what was going on in his head to make him write this to do this and and so that's that's the big thing that i would do so once again go and like us on facebook and you can check out our podcast on the anchor podcast app on spotify google Podcasts, and many more of your lesser podcast apps what could have been with elliot smith well I think it's pretty obvious that he would have continued to do his thing. I think he would have also continued to struggle, unfortunately. But I think he really would have gotten to a place where it would have been a little bit better for him. I really do think so. I think um, positivity and a change, a, a, the refresh button was coming up in Elliot Smith's life. I really do believe that. So I think that's what could have been. And he would have obviously continued to make incredible music, continue to shape the worlds of indie folk, alternative folk, alternative rock and singer-songwriter world genres as well. And so, quick reminder to like us on Facebook, all that stuff, like our podcast, and to tune in every single week on Thursdays from 3 to 4 p.m. right here on 89.5 WJMU The Quad. I'm your host, Caleb. This has been The Days That Music Died. We'll catch you next week for another show of The Days That Music Died. We've got another tune here for you. Here's Miss Misery, and I hope you all enjoy. Enjoy.